it is our prayer that every person that hears uh, that song would know that they are complete in Him. And that is part of the message today. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity that you've allowed us to be here this morning. Father, thank you for a great summer and fun things that we've been able to do. And Father, as school begins and we get back into the routine of things, Father, would you help us uh, again refocus on you? Maybe today would be that day where we remember who you are and Father, that you have died for us and that we are complete in you. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins that we might have eternal home in heaven. Father, if there's one person here today that does not know that, I pray that today would be that day. And Father, your will will be accomplished. Thank you so much for all you do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13, please. Acts chapter 13. While you're turning there, my family loves to play board games uh, a lot. Like we have a whole shelving unit, not a shelf, shelving unit full of games. We like all different kinds of games and all different styles of games. The board games I like the least are the ones that are mostly left up to chance. I hate those games, um, mainly because those are the ones that I lose the most. I'm not a very lucky guy, and so I don't like those games. Um, I'm very competitive by nature. And chance does not aid in my competitive nature. I like to have some uh, chance of, of winning and in, in some say in the outcome of the game. Some of our board games have dice. That is the biggest chance ever because you're rolling dice. There's not, uh, there's, those things are bouncing, rolling all over the place. They're, sometimes they land on the floor. By the way, we need to have a discussion about whether a dice lands on the floor or not. Okay, that is a re-roll, okay? Just so you know. Okay, if it lands, if it goes off the table, it's a re-roll, everybody. Mark it down. You don't have to Google it. I just told you. Okay, that is a re-roll. You don't get to get what the, what's on the floor, okay, because it's different. You ha- it, it rolled too much telling you. See, I hate chance. You have to control enough things. We, all, we don't know where they're going to land. It's all about chance. But I want you to think about, that's a game. I want you to think about life. There are some people, maybe even here today or listening to this today, that believe that everything in life is by chance. It's not. It's not by chance. It's just like a roll of the dice, we think sometimes. Ah, I think I'm just going to roll the dice and see what happens today. Sometimes we think there's no rhyme, no reason to why we have the parents we have. Sometimes we think there's no rhyme, no reason to the job that you have or to the city in which you live. It's all just by chance. It's a roll of the dice, if you will. What if I said to you that we were made for more than just mere chance? What if I told you that? What if I told you that your life is a life of genuine purpose? Of genuine purpose. Again, hopefully you're in Acts 13 by now. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pull your phone out. Go ahead and uh, get a Bible app and follow along with us. Acts chapter 13. I want to begin reading in verse 13. The Bible says this. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos... They came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So they leave. Remember last week we talked about this man named Bar-Jesus. They, they win this Sergius Paulus to Jesus Christ, and so they're leaving this town, and they're going to another. Verse 14. 
But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down, much like you're doing right now. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men of brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Okay, so hopefully you can picture this. The synagogue is the church building of the day. It's the place where the Jews would go to worship. And so they are there, and they uh, walk in, and they sit down. And again, they must have some sort of name, some sort of notoriety, because the rulers of the people see them walk in, and they say, hey, you guys, do you have anything to say? And if, they do, if you do, say on. Like, come on, bring it to us. Okay, so they walk into this synagogue, they meet, they're studying the Scripture, and they're giving this, if you will, an amazing opportunity. They're given the opportunity to speak to the people. Now, let me ask you this question. Were they just, quote, randomly there that day? Were they just, was it just random that they walked into that random city and that random synagogue at a random time and some random person says, hey, why don't you say some random thing to us? No. Were they there for a purpose? They were there for a purpose. Let's find out what their purpose was. Verse 16, the Bible says this, Then Paul stood up and, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Listen to me, everybody. Listen to me, everybody. He gets their attention, verse 17. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king and and God gave unto them Saul the son of Sis, a, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. If you will, this is the introduction to Paul's message. He begins to preach to the people and he begins to tell them about all of these things that God has done. He's setting the stage, if you will, but he's being very purposeful. And he's being very intentional with his words. If you'll read through this, again, not necessarily that we will walk through it, but I want to show you a few things. He is making, he's showing these people that the Lord cares about them. That the Lord cares about them. He's making God relevant to them. Look at all the things that Paul attributes to God. Let's go back through verse 17. You can see the God of this people chose Okay, continue on to verse 18, and about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners. Okay, so if you know anything about the Bible, the children of Israel complained and 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 complained complained for 40 years in the wilderness. And so the Bible uses very particular words here, is God suffered their manners. At any moment, God could have said, okay, I'm done with you. And he tried multiple times, but Moses stopped him. So he's pointing to God there in verse 18. Verse 19, when he had destroyed seven nations. That's talking about God. Sometimes we think when we read the book of Joshua, wow, Joshua, you're an amazing person. You're a military genius. Listen, it wasn't all about Joshua. It was 
God. Verse 20, and after that, he gave unto them judges. Verse 19, you see, he divided their land. 21, they desired a king, and who gave them a king? God gave them a king. Verse 22, when he had removed that bad king, Saul, he, God, raised up unto them David to be their king, the most famous king, the the greatest king. So what I want you to see is that none of this was Israel's doing. Paul is pointing them to God. Listen, God has been working all along. God has been doing this work. God has been in this. He has been working in your life. It has not all been by chance. So you might be sitting here today and you simply don't think that God is relevant to you at all. You don't, you don't see how, how God has done anything or can do anything in your life. In fact, there might be some of you that sit here today and you might even have a negative view of God because you've probably gone through some very difficult things. And you blame those difficult things on God. Often what we fail to see is that God has been guiding us all along. I believe this, God has a hand in you hearing this message today. I don't think you're here by chance. I don't think it's random. I didn't think you rolled the dice this morning and said, ah, let's find out if we're going to go to Bible Baptist or not. Paul references in this passage, he references the fact that Israel was slaves in Egypt. Anybody think that that's a good thing? Well, it was a terrible time for the children of Israel. He references that, but he doesn't focus on the wickedness of that. What does he focus on? He focuses on the fact that they were strangers in the land of Egypt, verse 17, and with an high arm brought he them out. Listen, some of you have gone through some really, really difficult things in life, things that I can't imagine, things that I could never even think about, and you've gone through them, and you think, God, I hate you for the things that I have gone through, but listen, you are still here today. God has led you out or is guiding you through that even to this day. So listen, we can blame God for all the bad things. And by the way, if you blame God for the bad things, guess what you have to do? You have to blame him for the good things. Because that's what we do. We think we are in possession of all our faculties and we can do whatever we want. And if anything fails, that's God's fault. But if it's good, then look at what I did. No, if you blame God for the bad, you have to blame him for the good. And here, God brings the children of Israel into slavery for a very particular purpose. It was not by chance. It was not random. It was for a purpose. And here he says, and he brings them out with a strong arm. God gave them deliverance. Again, I have no doubt that some of you have gone through some pretty tough things. Some of you have gone through things deeper than we could ever imagine, but God has seen fit to bring you through. Don't be tricked into thinking you got here on your own. God cares so much about you and everything in your life he has used to get you to this point in your life. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to trust, but this is what Paul is saying. God has been working all of these years, thousands of years. Verse 23. The Bible says this. He's talking about David in verse 22. It says in verse 23, Of this man's seed hath God 
according to his promise. What has he done? He's raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before this coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, as, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. Behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. You might be thinking, okay, God has led me to this point. Everything that I have gone through in my life is leading me to today. Why is today so important? Why do you suppose that God brought you to hear this message at Bible Baptist today of all days? Because today, and many other days, we are talking about the person who can deliver you. We are talking about the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior. You see, your entire life has been pointing to this pivotal moment, just like Paul is showing the people of Israel that their entire national history was pointing to the promise of a Savior, the coming of one called Jesus, who would deliver his people from their sins. It was foretold. In the same manner, your life is also mounting to the opportunity for God to introduce to you Jesus Christ. The Savior of the world. So often, we think it's just by chance. We think, ah, it's no big deal. I'll just take this way to work today. Or I just, it's just a fluke accident I got in today. No, listen, everything is for purpose. And here, Paul and Barnabas show up at this place on purpose to give a very particular message on purpose. And he says, God has purposefully brought to you to this place for a reason. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God has promised a Savior. God has promised a Savior, and this Jesus is the Savior. Verse 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. This is for you. To you. You people who sit at Bible Baptist Church, maybe to the people who listen online, listen, to you, to you this salvation is sent to you. Titus 2.11, the Bible says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Everybody. This is for everyone. Anybody who wants to. The grace of God hath appeared to everyone. This salvation is for you. This salvation, this Jesus Christ, this Savior is open and available to you today. This is purposeful. This is purposefully and intentionally orchestrated by God. You know what God wants? God desperately, desperately wants you to know about Jesus Christ the Savior. He desperately wants you to know. And in this passage of Scripture, he wanted the Jews, the people in the synagogue. Verse 26, he said, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham. That's the Jews. And then he says this, and whosoever, anybody else, Anybody else who wants to know, this salvation is given to you today. Let me ask you this question. 
What makes Jesus Christ so important? I mean, you're talking Paul here about he's the Savior. He was the promised one. What makes him so important? Out of all the people in history that have done good things, how do I know that he is the Savior? How do I know that this is not just some conspiracy theory of something made up in history? Look at verse 27. The Bible says this, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. All saying, listen, you guys are reading the scriptures every Sabbath day, and the prophets were foretelling of this man named Jesus Christ, and that the rulers of, the, of Jerusalem at that time, this time would condemn him. They told you that this would happen, but none of you saw it. Verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. You see, this is something that you need to know. All of the things that Jesus did, and all of the things that Jesus had done to him, were prophesied about thousands of years before Jesus Christ thousands of years, down to the exact things that he would do. Before Jesus ever walked the earth, there were, there were over 300 such prophecies about Jesus. And most notably, we know that it's found in Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. So I'm going to get you to turn over there with me, if you would. Isaiah 53. This is thousands of years before Jesus Christ. I want to show you what was prophesied about Jesus. Truthfully, the whole entire chapter is about Jesus. For sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you this morning. But I want to focus in on a few key verses. Look at verse 3 with me. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Stop right there. You see, what would happen is the Jews would call on Jesus and they would say, Hosanna in the highest. He is our great king. Here he comes. And they threw palm branches down. One week later, they're despising him. They're rejecting him. They're shouting instead of, he is our king. They're shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. They hid, as it were, our faces from him. We don't want to see, we don't want to see him. Just get rid of him. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded. Why? Why was he wounded? For our transgressions. He was bruised. Why? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, which we know he got whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times, with his stripes, we are healed. 
You see, Jesus Christ, the prophecy was foretold that he would be beaten, that he would be uh, accursed, that he would be, have all of our sins put upon him. He would do that for us. Verse 6, and all we like sheep, what have we done? We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And again, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every one of us has failed. Every one of us has done our own thing. But the Lord laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Pastor Holland spoke a couple weeks ago about Pilate and how in this throne room and this opportunity that Jesus had to speak, often what did he do? He just kept his mouth closed. He was despised, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus, we know, later on, is called, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Verse 8. He was taken from prison, and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was, he was killed. He was taken out of the land of the living for my transgression. Verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death. By the way, Joseph of Arimathea, who, who Jesus was buried in his grave, was a Rich man, notice again, and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. I could go on and on. And there's, this is just one of 300. I, can't, I wish I could take the time. It's incredible how much Jesus was prophesying about. This is just one passage of the prophecies. But Paul is pointing out that these prophecies were fulfilled by the rulers of Jerusalem condemning Jesus to death. When they said, Jesus, you will be crucified. When they said, Jesus, you're going to be beaten with a cat of nine tails. When they said, Jesus, you're going to take the place of Barabbas. When they said all of those things, they were fulfilling those prophecies. They weren't just randomly getting rid of a man who was proclaiming religious ideologies. They were getting rid of Jesus Christ. They were fulfilling prophecy. It wasn't just random was purposeful not a fluke accident it was detailed thousands and thousands of years prior that jesus would die according to the scriptures in case fulfillment of prophecy is not enough for you to believe that this is an important person in history paul adds another convincing argument to this message go back to acts chapter 13 Look with me in verse 30. Talks about prophecy. Verse 30, watch this, this is amazing. But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. Say what? God raised him from the dead. See, Jesus was not just some ordinary, regular guy who died. Jesus was not just a good man, a a good prophet, a, a, a wonderful person who did amazing things. He was all of those things, but he wasn't just that. He was God. He was someone special who died for your sins, and not only that, he rose again. 
This is the single most important piece of information in this entire story. Paul made this comment in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says this, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Without this point, without verse 30, Jesus is unimportant. Without verse 30, we have no hope. Without verse 30, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So the fact that Jesus rose again is of utmost importance to the validity of Jesus and who he was. The work that he was called to do. But not only did he rise again, oh great, that's just somebody said that one time and okay, so we just wrote it down and believe it. No, no, no. Paul goes on, verse 31, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses unto the people. There's eyewitness testimonies. There were people there that saw Jesus after they know he was dead. They watched him die. Three days later, he rises from the dead. There were witnesses of Jesus here, and Jesus rising from the dead was also prophesied, verse 32. And we declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David, wherefore he hath also, he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, and was laid under his fathers, and saw corruption. David died, David died, and never rose again. But he, but Jesus, verse 37, whom God raised again, guess what he saw? No corruption. He's not dead. He is still alive. And the Bible tells us in another place that he is sitting at the right hand of God right now, waiting to come get those who believe in him. All signs point to Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. He was prophesied about. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. Listen, all according to the scriptures. You might be sitting here today and say, okay, great. Jesus is a really special person. I can see that. But why does this matter to me here today? Why do you think that I've been brought to this point? Why do you think that I ought to listen to this message today? Well, Paul continues in verse 38 be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins why are you here why are you here today of all days why was paul speaking to these people in a synagogue in pisidia here's the message write it down because of jesus christ we can have forgiveness of sins. Listen, this is not by chance. This is not some random act of kindness. Listen, this is intentional, planned since the beginning of the world that Jesus Christ would die for your sins. Our sins are the reason Jesus came. 
our sins are the reason Jesus came. Because of Jesus, we can have forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says this, For all, all, all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'd love to stand here and tell you that I'm perfect. Take you three seconds to figure out that I'm not. All of us have sinned. The Bible says if we lie, if we're selfish. The Bible says about babies, I have a two and a half week old baby. The Bible says this. Babies or children are a few days and full of trouble. That is the most selfish human being I have ever met. Selfish. He cries when he's hungry. He cries when he's soiled his diaper. He cries just for the sake of crying. He sleeps when he wants to sleep. He's awake when he wants to be awake. He is the most selfish human being. Listen, that is sin. He is a few days and full of it. And so you just take just a few days and you now add, add and multiply that by years upon years upon years. And guess what? You are full of sin. It is that sin, the Bible says, that separates us from God. We cannot have a relationship with God. We, we cannot have the close-knit relationship with God that the Bible talks about because of our sin. Sin separates us from God. But again, all of this talk about God and all of this orchestration of God to get you to this point is for this purpose so that you get the opportunity to have forgiveness of your sins. You, you say, what is sin? Sin is the breaking of any of God's commandments. Again, I talked about selfishness. That's a sin. Lying, sin. Again, stealing, cheating. The list goes on and on and on. The reality is not one of us could ever be sinless. We are all sinful. And Jesus, what did he do? He died for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins. He died for your sins. He was buried for your sins. And he rose again, conquering your sins. So, like the song said just before I got up here, he has justified us. Yea, justified. Oh, blessed thought. And sanctified. He has cleansed us from our sins. Paul continues, verse 39. And by him, all that believe are what? Justified from what? All things. All things. From which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Listen, guys. There is no other way to be justified. Well, I'll just obey all of God's commandments. Well, you go right ahead and try, and you'll find out you can't. Well, I'll just do a lot of good works and that'll get me to heaven. No, 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 I'm so sorry. Listen, this is the only way. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way. 
There is no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to be justified from your sins. Sins are anything that is against the commands of God, and we are all guilty of it. But God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, and we know him to be Jesus, that whosoever, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter if you're Jew, doesn't matter if you're Gentile, doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old, it does not matter who you are. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There was nothing else that could justify us of our sins. It was only Jesus. And guess what God did? God orchestrated all of this for you. For you. He set everything up for you today to make a decision. To make one decision. A life-altering, a life-changing, an eternal life-changing decision. Paul gives us one final word. I want to read it to you in verse 40. He says this. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you. What? What's going to come upon me? Which is spoken of in the prophets. What is it? Behold ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Very simply, the last two verses are a warning. He says, beware. He says, don't despise this message. Don't be one of those ones whom Jesus has died that does not believe. The Bible prophesied that there would be some that would reject Christ and believe. And he says, don't be one of those. Can I say the same to you today? I'm doing my absolute best through hopefully the power of the Holy Spirit to declare unto you, Jesus Christ, please don't push it aside. Don't push it aside anymore. Don't be one of those people who says, no, I'm rejecting that. I've heard it. I've been de- it's been declared unto me, but I don't believe it. Choose him today. Choose to believe that God has done all of this for you. He's not going to force you to make this decision. He's led you, he's guided you all the way to this point, and now you've been given an opportunity to make a choice. Will you choose Jesus? He did all of this for you so that you could have a relationship with him and live with him together for eternity in heaven. The question is simple. Will you choose him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Father, I pray that if there's one person here today, that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, we'll give you the praise and honor for it. I pray all these things in your name.